Gentlemen, bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing The Rothschilds. Shoulders back, every head held high, for at last we're underway. Founders of the famous financial firm, Rothschild and Sons. Jaws will drop when the world finds out what a step we took today. Copenhagen's favorite banking house, Rothschild and Sons. Yes, you skeptical souls who sold us short. We're superior agents of the court. Twinkling high in the fiscal sky is a newly risen star. There's another firm in the firmament, Rothschild and Son. But first, how are we doing? I hope this, the latest episode of The Musical Man, finds you well, as always. I do have a quick follow-up regarding our episode on the tap dance kid. Samuel E. Wright of Broadway's The Lion King and The Tap Dance Kid is also the voice of Sebastian in Disney's The Little Mermaid. I knew there was something familiar about his voice, and Jenna solved the riddle for me, so thank you, Jenna. Wright is quite good when performing William's song, I do have to say, but the song itself is ludicrous. I just have to reiterate that point. I want to plug the Patreon. That's what I want to say. I want to plug the Patreon. And I just said it. Patreon.com slash MusicalManPod. Please take a moment to explore that Patreon page and consider donating one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. You get so much amazing original content. You get so many wonderful incentives by becoming a patron of the podcast, and I should remind you, 100% of every monthly payout is donated directly to the Black Lives Matter organization. It's true. And I want to also say, hey, write a review via Apple Podcasts. A five-star review, I should say. Take a moment to write up why you love the show. It helps to spread the word and raise awareness regarding the podcast. I normally save all of this for the end of the show, but this time I decided to put it right up top. And now that I have taken care of those objectives, we are going to get to the show facts regarding the Rothschilds. Show me the show facts. All right, okay. The Rothschilds is a 1971 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on October 19th, 1970 at the Lundfontaine Theater and ran for 507 performances. The book was written by Sherman Yellen and is based on Frederick Morton's 1962 book The Rothschilds, A Family Portrait which was later reissued in 1998 as The Rothschilds Portrait of a Dynasty. The music was written by Jerry Bach. The lyrics were written by Sheldon Harnick. This was the final collaboration between Bach and Harnick following The Body Beautiful, Fiorello, Tenderloin, She Loves Me, Fiddler on the Roof, and The Apple Tree. The director of The Rothschilds was none other than Michael Kidd. The musical director, Milton Green. The choreographer, Michael Kidd. Hello again, Michael. Scenic design, John Barry. Lighting design, Richard Pilbrow. Sound design, N.A. No sound designer this time around, I'm sorry to say. Costume design, John Barry. And the original Broadway cast included Hal Linden, Joe Claiborne, Keen Curtis, Paul Hecht, Leela Martin, Robbie Benson, Peggy Cooper, Nina Dova, Lee Franklin, David Garfield, Alan Gruet, Howard Honig, Timothy Jerome, Leo Lee. 
Layden, Michael, Maitland, Chris, Sarandon, and Mitchell Spira. When it comes to Tony Nods, the original Broadway production of The Rothschilds won the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical, Hal Linden, and Best Featured Actor in a Musical, Keen Curtis. It was additionally nominated for Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, Sherman Yellen, Best Original Score, Jerry Bach, Best Scenic Design, John Barry, Best Choreography, Michael Kidd, Best Direction of a Musical, Michael Kidd, and Best Lyrics, Sheldon Harnick. So in total, nine nominations and two awards when all was said and done. Is it time to talk about the plot? I do believe it is time to talk about the plot, and so we shall. The time? 1772. The place? Germany. Meyer Amschel Rothschild, having completed a year-long banking apprenticeship in Hanover, returns to Frankfurt to marry his fiancée, Gitela. As Jews, Meyer and Gitela are forced to live in a walled-off ghetto where the people are routinely made the target of violence. Under the reign of Prince William of Hesse Castle, only 12 Jewish couples are allowed to marry each year. Meyer circumvents the law by introducing himself to Prince William at a fair and bribing the nobleman with a rare coin. William allows the couple to marry and eventually hires Meyer to act as an agent for the court's bankers. Over the next few years, Meyer and Gitala give birth to five sons, Amschel, Solomon, Nathan, Jacob, and Coleman. Like their father, the boys prove to be excellent salesmen, and the family enjoys a good deal of prosperity. However, life in the ghetto is only getting worse for the Jewish people, and the Rothschild men become determined to bring about change. 1804. Prince William agrees to provide financial aid to his cousin, King Christian of Denmark, for the purposes of fighting a war. Meyer proposes that he and his sons travel to Denmark as agents of the court so they may negotiate the terms of this loan. William is hesitant at first, but the obvious talents of the family win him over. When the Rothschilds return from Denmark, they discover Frankfurt has been invaded by Napoleon Bonaparte's forces and is under the control of Joseph Fouché, French Minister of Police. Prince William has fled the country. The court that once protected the Rothschild family no longer exists. Meyer orders his sons to travel across Europe and collect on Prince William's debts before the funds are stolen by the French. Nathan will go to London and invest the money as it is collected. Gitala supports her husband's plan, though she fears the family may never be whole again. Act 1 ends with the sons setting off on their respective journeys. Act 2. Nathan achieves financial success in London, even as confidence in the stock exchange falters in the face of the Napoleonic Wars. The young Rothschild falls for Hannah Cohen, a Jewish aristocrat who has dedicated herself to charitable causes. She rejects Nathan's proposal of marriage, believing him to be a man without principles. This inspires Nathan to help England win the war by lending the nation his family's fortune. There is a catch to Nathan's offer. The United Kingdom's Chancellor of the Exchequer, John Charles Harris, must convince Germany and Austria to dissolve the laws that oppress their Jewish citizens. The Chancellor accepts Nathan's terms. Subsequently, the Austrian Prince of Metternich, Clemens Wenzel Nepomuk Lothar, vows to grant Jewish citizens their civil rights once the war has been won. Meyer is ecstatic upon hearing the good news, believing his people will soon be freed from the ghettos. Nathan explains to Hannah that his decision to help England is not predicated on her accepting his marriage proposal. Hannah confesses she has fallen in love with Nathan. 1818. Napoleon has been defeated. In a disturbing reversal, Prince Lothar of Metternich informs the Rothschilds he will not follow through on his promise to the Jewish people. Meyer falls into a deep depression and dies soon thereafter. 
The Rothschild sons exact revenge upon Lothar by selling peace bonds at increasingly cheaper rates, thereby undermining the prince and depleting his treasury. The price war nearly bankrupts the Rothschilds, but Lothar surrenders in the end. I surrender! The Jewish people shall have their civil rights! Ah, but the Rothschilds are not through with Lothar just yet. He must also grant the title of Baron to each of the sons and make the house of Rothschild solely responsible for the handling of state bonds. Lothar concedes, and the ghetto walls are finally torn down. The end. I'm pretty sure I talked about this during our company episode, but the 25th annual Tony Awards did not include performances from the nominated musicals. Instead, the broadcast focused on celebrating musicals from the past. Because why bother showcasing the people who made the most recent Broadway season special when you can simply bathe in nostalgia? This sort of decision always bums me out. Hey, I'm all for Gwen Verdon performing whatever Lola wants for the umpteenth time, but that should not come at the expense of actors who have earned their moment in the spotlight. And why push the new Bach and Harnick musical aside so Zero Mostel can provide a fiddler tribute? I'm too prickly a person to not read that as an insult. Yes, nice job with the Rothschilds, I'm sure, but to be honest, we're more interested in your earlier work. This is all to say there is no Tony Awards performance for the Rothschilds. So for the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 1970 original Broadway cast album and the 2015 off-Broadway cast album. Now this heavily revised one-act version of the show came with a new title, Rothschild and Sons, and was staged at the Theater at St. Peter's. Surprisingly, the 2015 album is only available for digital purchase through Apple Music and cannot be found via Amazon or streamed via Spotify. So there you go. Let's start talking about that score. Let's begin with the overture.
begin with what I can only describe as a gorgeous overture from Jerry Bach, one that swiftly conveys the sweeping, globe-trotting nature of the piece. I envy that opening night audience at the Fontaine. The thought of hearing that incredible collection of horns live makes me giddy. What a declaration of intent. The 2015 Overture is a consciously humble chamber piece compared to the lush grandstanding of 1970. Let's hear a bit of it, actually. Broadway production makes a number of improvements over its predecessor, but the absence of a mighty orchestra left me feeling a tad deflated. I want to imagine myself soaring through snowstorms and waltzing about in grand palaces by gum. You can't offer me a lunchable when I've already enjoyed a gourmet meal. No offense to the off-Broadway orchestra. See the pampered faces, regard the costly clothes Every carefree figure in a courtly pose Sniff the fragrant powder and smell the scented oil Note the slender fingers that have not known toil A world of pleasure and privilege Elegant, elite, a private Arcadia Well, life is sweet Exclusive and elect Wary of outsiders As you might suspect See the couples dancing To flute and violin Aren't you rather jealous That you can't come in A world of pleasure and privilege Elegant, elite A private Arcadia Well, Take a silver shilling or take a golden mark When the top is shining then the bottom's dark Take a world of pleasure and look behind its back When the front is shining then the back is black A world of pleasure and privilege Elegant, elite a private Arcadia where life is sweet.
The goal of pleasure and privilege is to measure the stark differences between Germany's royal court and its Jewish ghettos. To achieve said goal, Bach and Harnack apply broad yet meaningful strokes, casting the upper crust in a fatuous light while painting an average night in the ghetto as intrinsically foreboding. The material is blunt by design, and I like it that way. Harnack's talk of costly clothes, fragrant powder, and scented oils evokes the era of the Scarlet Pimpernel, while Bach's music calls to mind Kiss Me Kate's I've Come to Wife It Wealthily in Padua. By engineering the first half of the number as a lark, the composers lull the audience into a sense of complacency. Even as the aristocrats make it clear, their world is an exclusive one. We may be fussy prigs, but we're also fiercely anti-Semitic. We can be both, darling! The eventual shift in tone comes with an excellent metaphor. Quote, Take a silver shilling or take a golden mark. When the top is shining, then the bottom's dark. Take a world of pleasure and look behind its back. When the front is shining, then the back is black. Quote, These lyrics paired with the grim proclamation we hear seconds later make no bones about our situation. Quote, hear ye, hear ye, Jews and aliens of Frankfurt. Cease all trade and traffic and remain confined in your homes until morning. The ghetto is closed. Quote, this is not Little Me or Urinetown or Once on this Island, where a conflict between the haves and the have-nots is presented as some parable or fairy tale. When you hear that proclamation, the real-world stakes become all too clear. Old coins, rare coins, silks and satins, velvets and brocades, fine fabrics. Treasures of an ancient kingdom, numismatic wonders from days of old, curios of silver, rarities of gold. Meyer Rothschild, at your service. Look, look at this rare treasure, older than Alexander the Great. And there's an ancient legend connected with this coin. Come, come closer. Long before Alexander, was as great as he became. At the tender age of six, he knew ambition and contentment seldom mix. So he wondered, is it better to pursue eternal fame or to spend his life in tasting simple joys? Should he lead a quiet life or instead, should he organize an army and roam? Then he took a silver drachma and said, Heads! I conquer the world, tails, I stay home. Yes, my friends, at this critical moment, when the fate of the world hung in the balance, he tossed a coin, he tossed a coin, saying, coin, it's up to you, tell me what I ought to do. Yes, he tossed it, and he watched it as it spun. He tossed a coin, perhaps this very one, only 15 dollars. Sorry, no. Anyone? No. Well, take this one. Behold. 
First of all, I love a marketplace number. Who will buy is practically the only number from Oliver I remember because it is all about people selling their wares. He tossed a coin is not really a marketplace number. It begins that way. Rare coins, cheese and sausage, fine fabrics. But then we put all of that to bed so Meyer can take the floor, which is fine, though I would like to hear more about the cheese and the sausage. Fresh fish, we catch them, you buy them. Meyer's style of salesmanship is pretty entertaining, though I can see why the 2015 production chose to cut down his presentation from three stories down to two. The rule of three often helps to ensure a piece of writing lives up to its full potential, but there are plenty of other instances where it's better to quit while you're ahead, and this is one of them. What I like about Meyer's stories are how they comment on the choices life has presented to him. Like Alexander the Great, Meyer must decide if he will wrestle with the world or live quietly in one of its corners. Will he make history or merely witness it? Like Cleopatra, Meyer must decide if he will greet his rulers with a smile or undermine them with strategy. Will he serve their interests or those of himself and his people? And, like Caesar, Meyer must decide if he will heed the cautionary advice of his wife or face those who would do him harm. All of these questions can be distilled down to one question. Is it better to hide or to fight? I'm fudging history a bit to make these comparisons more relevant, but fudging with history is Meyer's game in this number, and it's a fun game. Nathan! Yes, Papa? Nathan, you are very bright. Thank you, Papa. And you're zealous. Thank you, Papa. But you're headstrong. Thank you, Papa. You don't listen. I know, Papa. You're impatient. Yes, Papa. So listen. Yes, Papa. When a shopper when says a shopper she, said... Nathan, just listen. When a shopper says she simply can't decide, be polite, be discreet. Here is good advice to serve you as a guide. Too much heat will scorch the meat. Huh? Yes, Papa. All right. Now repeat what I've just said. When a shopper says she simply can't decide, don't give up. That's good enough. Rothschild's aim is to serve our customers. They'll get a beating and we don't eat. <laughs> Jacob, I'm afraid you're too young. Run along and help your mama. Papa, I'm old enough. Please let me work in the shop. Jacob! I know my songs and how to write them. I know the price of every item. I know who buys and who just lingers and who walks out with sticky fingers. Very good, Jacob. Very good, Jacob. Nathan, Jacob, you may join your brothers. Thank you, Papa. Boys, huh? I know my son. Extend a man's impact, sons extend a man's drive, sons are natural allies. I could use at least five, there are walls to destroy, and I've scarcely begun, but with sons to deploy, there's a world to be won. 
and Harnick's Fiddler on the Roof, Tevya has five daughters. One, two, three, four, five. In Bach and Harnick's The Rothschilds, Meyer has five sons. One, two, three, four, five. Coincidence? Yes, probably. But you can't say the coincidence isn't interesting. You can't. I won't allow it. For the record, Meyer and Gitala actually had ten children in real life. Each of their sons has their own Wikipedia page. The daughters, Shanshe, Isabella, Babette, Julie, and Henriette, do not have Wikipedia pages. Sorry, ladies, Wikipedia is not interested in your lives, much like this week's musical is not interested in your lives. You do not exist. The stage version of Meyer Rothschild is so fixated on having sons that when he prays for children, the mere possibility of having a daughter is never invoked. Too risky, too dangerous. Daughters are like Beetlejuice. The more you talk about them, the more likely they are to appear. The title of the song is Sons, and we're sticking to that topic, damn it. All right, some quick observations for you regarding this number. Hal Linden is doing a bang-up job as Meyer. I especially enjoy his delivery of, There are walls to destroy and I've scarcely begun, but with sons to deploy, there's a world to be won. Those vocals are powered by a locomotive engine and infused with an immense amount of heart. I am surprisingly a fan of the young actors who play Meyer's sons. Robbie Benson is making his voice crack as Solomon. Michael Mayland is quite funny and endearing as Nathan. And Mitchell Spira portrays Jacob as a puppy who cannot sit still. What's not to like? The idea of casting kids was thrown out for the 2015 production so adults could play their characters as both children and men. I understand the decision. It's certainly cost-effective, if nothing else, but seeing Meyer interact with actual children helps to build out the history of the family. Me, I would utilize the kids. Why not? Real kids are more entertaining than adults pretending to be kids. We have enough. We have a roof overhead, clothes on our backs. We make a living with something extra so we can give when a poor man asks. What more do you want? We have enough. What more do we need? What more do we need? What more do we want? What more do we need? We want everything, everything, everything other men aspire to. What another's entitled to, we're entitled to, too. A curious, dangerous malady we are all afflicted with. We want everything, everything, just like other men do. Gitala's priorities are routinely dismissed by the men in her family. We are meant to empathize with Gitala, but we are also meant to view her as a well-meaning roadblock. The show is saying, look, no offense, but if the Rothschild men had listened to Gitala, they would never have achieved anything. No offense, but her vision is limited. She is content with living behind walls, while the men can only see beyond them. It's no one's fault. Gitala was not a villain, but she wasn't a leader either. No offense. 
I do not view Gittle's concerns as a millstone the men need to cast aside in order so they can grow beyond her. When Gittle sings throughout everything, it's clear she is neither naive nor blind. She lives in a Jewish ghetto. She has never been free of restrictions or violence, but there has always been enough to survive. For Gittle, enough is everything, if it means survival. Meyer and his sons no longer wish to define everything as enough. They want to set their own terms, they want access to every path made available to others, and they will do anything in their power to ensure that happens. I understand where they are coming from, but I also understand how Gidala would view this as an Icarus scenario waiting to fall apart. She's not a fan of bearing witness to the annihilation of her family. Shocking. I guess what I'm saying is respect and listen to your mother. This mom is a well-meaning drag stuff is reductive. Now, one could argue relegating Getula to the sidelines makes sense when you consider the historical context of the story, and I would generally agree with you there, but we can't use context as an excuse for neglecting female characters. If sticking to context was important, this show would have ten Rothschild children, not five. We're already making changes in the name of dramatization, so let's not leave Getula in the dust. On that note, I'm happy to report the 2015 production honors the Rothschild matriarch with a more complex and satisfying arc. By the time that version of the show comes to an end, Gedela both fears for her family and fights alongside them for a greater good. She's inspired by the men just as they are inspired by her, and everyone grows in the process. Much better, I should think. Boys. Yes, yes Papa. Papa. The French will be in Frankfurt shortly. I'll give you your instructions. You will go off at once. I will not cry. Cry if my sons can be brave, so can I. Solomon, yes, Papa. Solomon, you will go to Vienna, present your papers at the court of the emperor, and report back to me within the month, huh? Yes, Papa. How can he sit and one by one send every son to risk his life? I'm sure. I know his sons understand. But not his wife. Amshul, you will represent the prince at the Prussian court. Take these records with you. And Amshul, they admire pasture there. Stand up straight. Yes, Papa. I should know after so many years. When we fight, it's his own voice he hears. So once again, I'll hold my tongue and pray he's right. Jacob. Yes, Papa. Hearing Gedele throughout the sons reprise was flat-out heartbreaking. She is literally in the background, knowing her concerns are not and will not be taken into consideration. I almost thought about skipping over this track, as I've made my thoughts on the character clear, but her placement in the mix, the fact that she sounds so distant, really struck me. I'm grateful for how the 2015 production got Gitala out of that corner and made her active without sacrificing her instincts as a partner or apparent. Women can do more than watch as the narrative unfolds. They can also participate in and affect the narrative. It's true. Papa, mama, I'm in love, I'm in love, and it happened in a trice, like a touch of summer sun. She has melted all my ice. I'm in love. I'm incurably obsessed, though I'm puzzled by her brain, I'm bedazzled by the rest. She's fragrant but frosty, caustic but kind, lilacs and lemons combined, but I don't mind. Papa, Mama, I'm 
in love, I'm in love with her appetizing air, with the angle of her nose, with the ringlets in her hair. To see her dainty slippers, I would skip my morning kippers. I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love. Since humanity began, there has been a more oblique or exasperating man, heaven knows. You're a forger to the teeth, cold and callous to the eye, conscientious underneath. Your cryptic behavior has left me confused, puzzled, and feeling abused. And you're amused, Nathan, really. Will you please tell me why, if you love me as you say, treated me before in that overbearing way. When I think of your dramatics and your verbal acrobatics, I'm annoyed. I'm provoked. I'm enraged. We're engaged. I'm in love. I'm in love is channeling a number of dorky, lovable ingenues from Bach and Harnick's past. From Model and Miracle of Miracles to George and She Loves Me. Now, did I expect Paul Hecht to sound like a lumberjack himbo while performing as Nathan? I surely did not, but I am a fan of the choice, as I am a fan of Hannah Cohen's distaste for Nathan. Who is this ridiculous lumberjack himbo I see before me? What a doofus, I must marry him immediately. The love story between Nathan and Hannah is easily the largest cut made by the 2015 production, and again, I accept the reasoning, but this heterosexual courtship is decidedly more charming than the one we covered last week, and as such, I was sad to see it go. In my own lifetime, I want to see our efforts blessed. My own lifetime, I want to see the walls come down, and then I'll rest. This Moses wants to see the promised land. In out here working for that Best Actor in a Musical Award, and I'm here to say he earned my vote. Do I use the musical carousel to travel through time and manipulate the outcomes of various Tony contests? Of course I do. Are you not aware of the carousel's awesome and frightening potential? Of course, Hal in no way needed my help back in 1971. He had this race in the bag, but it's always nice to throw one more vote onto the pile. Uh, where were we? What are we talking about? Oh, of course, in my own lifetime. I in no way mean to dilute or distract from the sentiment conveyed here, the feverish mixture of frustration and hope that leads Meyer to wish for change before his time is spent. But that desire for relief is felt by all who are oppressed. 
I am a white cisgender gay man who grew up and remains in a state of relative comfort. I cannot know what it means to be Jewish and bear the brunt of anti-Semitism, but you better believe I yearn for a seismic shift in how this world thinks and behaves. The push and pull of progress versus regression can be agonizing to witness, and I pray in my own way for change to come as soon as possible. Let's hope we can all do more than pray when put to the test. May I propose a pledge to the future? Never again shall thrones be a-tremble, never again shall crowns be askew. Throbbing with purpose we hereby assemble, hailing the sanctified work we must do. Start is courting disaster. We've witnessed the chaos equality brings. Yeah, yeah. Stability, stability, the world's been made free for people like you and people like me. Stability, stability, the upstart will pay who stands in the way of stability. Never again shall bloodstains be regal We shall be firm where once we were slack As of today all dissent is illegal Now only the echo may safely talk back There is an eerie familiarity to the rhetoric found within Stability, a song sung by Prince Metternich that equates the defeat of Napoleon with that of anyone who would oppose the rule of the court. The following lyrics sound a lot like victory speeches from modern-day politicians. Quote, Throbbing with purpose we hereby assemble, hailing the sanctified work we must do. We shall be firm where once we were slack, as of today all dissent is illegal, now only the echo may safely talk back. Quote, I'm skipping around a bit, to be fair, and on the surface this sounds more like the brand of fascism Republicans have been peddling for years, but the call for unity almost always sounds like a call for silence, doesn't it? We have a lot of work to do, so shut up and get out of the way. Your petty grievances and callbacks to promises made in days gone by mean nothing to us now. That bit about now only the echo may safely talk back, that got to me. Anyone who lives in a vacuum is dangerous, I say. Dangerous! I'm worried it's starting to sound as if I'm one of those let's hear from both sides kind of guys. A reminder, this podcast is not for Republicans. Democrats can listen so long as they admit to the glaring faults of their own party, but Republicans do not have a seat at the table. No, thank you. God bless you, my princes, and may you know the greatest joy a man can know, sons.
Cut to Getula in the corner, rolling her eyes in a state of exhaustion. All right, already with the sons, as if they popped out of thin air. Cut to the five Rothschild daughters, each of them performing a jerk-off pantomime. We may not exist in this story, but we can still hear you, papa. Now, a few more clips and thoughts regarding the 2015 album. Three new songs were added for this production, including What's To Be Done, a solo for Meyer that articulates why he is so concerned with obtaining wealth. In short, the man who has money has a better shot at survival than a man who has little or none. Think, Meyer, think. Who lives in safety, sheltered and protected? The rich, whose lives are peaceful, honored and respected. The rich. Which is to say, wealth is desirable, not only for itself, but what is more, acquiring wealth is the answer to the question, what's to be done? It will take a tidy sum, if we hope to avoid this reoccurring martyrdom. Clearly, when one is weak, life can be quite sour. Sweetness lies in financial power. The other newly added songs, Just a Map and He Never Listens, are not especially memorable, but I wanted to cite them anyway. I am, if nothing else, a completist. The finale of the 2015 album goes into great detail when it comes to Meyer's will and how it affects the family. Basically, each of the five sons is responsible for looking after the one directly below them in age, and they are collectively responsible for their mother, whom Meyer credits as, quote, the wise keeper of the house, quote. Also, do not sue each other and do not let the growth of the Rothschild fortune take priority over helping mankind. This is all great stuff. You don't get this information on the OBC album, where Meyer's parting message is oddly blunt. Let's hear a bit of the Everything reprise from the 2015 album. Let's risk Everything, everything, everything for the possibility This will bring us the freedom we all so desperately need This is madness Mama, tell him you won't agree to this reckless plan Why wouldn't I agree? You think I sat here knitting and fretting as your father built his fortune? He taught and I learned he was not alone. It was not only his hopes they destroyed, they were mine as well. I will not let us be betrayed again by those lying devils. All right, I'm convinced. Yes, it's a gamble. Could we fail? We could indeed. But how glorious. If we succeed... Mama, is this what you want? Me? I want everything. We'll risk everything, everything, everything for the possibility. The precious freedom we need 
this or is this not a fantastic moment for Gitala? She spent a lifetime learning from the people she loves more than life itself, and in doing so came to redefine what it means to live a life. She is now ready to fight for everything. This isn't a matter of men teaching a woman how to be brave and bold like a man. Gitala has been inspired to invest further in herself, her own strength and courage. This is what we call a complete arc. Gitala fretting in the shadows of her husband and sons? That was never what anyone would call a complete arc, and I'm glad efforts were made to finish the job. The work must be done. Finally, let us listen to the final track on the 2015 album, Finale slash In My Own Lifetime Reprise. Mama, we'll never change. But don't forget... Neither will they. In my own lifetime, I know the dangers that we'll face. In my own lifetime, I'll do my best to make the world a safer place. And I shall try to guarantee Beyond a doubt That no one can lock us in Or lock us out We have climbed higher Much higher than I thought we'd climb It's a long journey And even though the end's in sight There's not much time I want to know we haven't built on sand In my own lifetime Boys! Yes, Yes, Papa? Papa? Never forget who you are. Do you think they'll ever let us? The exchanges between Meyer, Gitala, and their sons are nothing short of fantastic. Quote, Mama will never change, but don't forget, neither will they. Never forget who you are. Do you think they will ever let us? Quote, There is so much sadness and so much resolve in that dialogue. I don't know if I want to run a marathon or fall down weeping after hearing that track. That's all I have to say regarding the score for the Rothschilds, and now we are going to hear a word from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Mrs. Leone, I am writing to let you know I am taking your advice and will be moving to the countryside tonight. Please find enclosed a can of 5678 coffee. My manager down at the grocery store thought it would make a nice present, as he knows it is your favorite brand. If you get a chance, please say goodbye to Sergeant O'Leary for me. I went down to Mr. Cacciatore's, but it was really busy, and I didn't want to bother him while he was working. Thank you for everything, Mrs. Leone. As you know, my mother died when I was very young, and in many ways I have come to think of you as a second mother. If you ever need anything, please call the number below. You can always count on me. Signed, Anthony.
Final thoughts regarding the Rothschilds. I mean, what's to say at this point? I feel like I left everything on the table. I didn't even take any notes regarding my final thoughts. So I guess I can wing it right now. Look, I love Bach and Harnick musicals. I love She Loves Me. I did a production of it. I've done a production of Fiddler on the Roof. I love Fiddler on the Roof. And the Rothschilds is clearly a strong contender for their best work. I think that that is clear. I prefer the lush, big, booming sound of the OBC album when compared to the smaller, again, more chamber piece 2015 album. That's what I prefer. I love the big, 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 big sound is what I do. <laughs> this is getting, this is already going off the rails, so I'll just leave it at that. Now, in 1971, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was a musical we've already covered here on the podcast, that being Stephen Sondheim's Company, yes, that's right, and the additional nominees that year, well, there was only one other show, and that was The Me Nobody Knows. I do believe that Company deserved its Tony Award for Best Musical, so we're not gonna, we're not gonna mess with history, not this time around. Okay, all right. Let's rank the Rothschilds against all of the other musicals we've talked about here on the podcast. As always, you can check out this full list by following us on Twitter at MusicalManPod, going to our likes, clicking the first tweet you find there. That's a Google Sheet, and on the second tab of that Google Sheet is this ranking. I'm going to place the Rothschilds at number 38, between Amour at number 37, and Little Me at number 39. I actually just moved Little Me to that slot. So that was our one change this week. Only one change this week, I do say. Show-related ephemera. Okay, ooh, this is a good one. Considering a search for the Rothschilds led to some, uh, shall we say, highly questionable YouTube content, I think it's best we set that garbage aside. Those results aside, we'll, we'll just set them over there and follow up on last week's subject instead. The tap dance kid. As I mentioned at the top of today's episode, Samuel E. Wright starred in The Tap Dance Kid before appearing in The Little Mermaid as Sebastian the Crab. The popularity of the character led to the production of Sebastian, a 1990 studio album of reggae and calypso covers. I have chosen to showcase a bit of the Deo cover because it includes Jody Benson as Ariel, along with some very stiff banter. Hit it! Come, Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana. Come on, Ariel, you sing with me. Come, Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana. <laughs> That's it. A beautiful bunch, a ripe banana. Till I come shining on my home. I did deadly black tarantula. Have some fruit juice and ripe banana. Daylight culture. That sounds good. <laughs> Pineapple, mango, June, plum, and cassava. Cassava? Come on. <laughs> That's it. Keep it up. I'm going back to Jamaica. Daylight culture. I was just joking. My favorite part of this little package we've provided this week is when Ariel says, Cassaba? And Sebastian responds by saying, They're all good, man! <laughs> What's Cassaba? Look, I don't know what to tell you, Ariel. They're all good. Eat up. Shut up. <laughs> 
I'm not sure why the line, daylight come and me one go home, was changed to daylight come shining on my home. And I don't know why we made that change. Were the original lyrics considered politically incorrect? If they were good enough for Harry Belafonte, they are good enough for Sebastian, I do say. To clarify, the 1990 Sebastian album should not be confused with Sebastian Party Gras, which was released in 1991 and includes a reggae cover of Twist and Shout. We will not be hearing that today. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the Random Number Generator, I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Stinky Twinks. Everyone ready? Then away we go! Okay, this is a big one. This is a big one. This is the 1956 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran for 1,019 performances, and that show is, you probably know this one. Yep, it's Damn Yankees. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't care if I ever get back from the home team. If they don't win, it's a show. Because it's one, two, three strikes, you're out in the old bar game. Look at Schwitzy. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Black Lives Matter organization. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. I said all of this right up top, but now I'm going to tell you what you actually get if you become a member of one of those tiers. If you donate one dollar a month, you get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes. You get a verbal shout out each and every week. Thank you so much for donating at least $1 a month. Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You get a series of bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage musical Emma, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus, Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, and Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. You also get Season 1, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, and access to our ongoing series, M3, The Movie Musical Man. That is a series for which we watch and discuss trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. The last Last episode in this batch of episodes will drop March 31st, and that theme is the Sherman Brothers Trilogy. We're going to be talking about Mary Poppins, The Happiest Millionaire, and Charlotte's Web, my dears. If you donate $3 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing, season one, ten episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, and a special episode all about season one of Julie and the Phantoms. If you donate
donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already described. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what musical I discuss on the podcast. You get access to seasons one and two, 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You get access to our Broadway and Chicago review series and Shout About It, volumes one and two. Those are collections of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 50 episodes of the show. Finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed, season one, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a special series for which we discuss Broadway musicals that were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and finally, starting April 28th, you will get bi-weekly episodes of our brand new series, Turn It Off, which is all about off-Broadway musicals. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to write a five-star review. We only have 37 five-star reviews. We want 60 five-star reviews. Once we get to that point, I will record and release a special episode all about Disney's Zombies and Disney's Zombies 2. If you're listening to the show via Spotify, Stitcher, or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com, thank you for streaming the show. You can follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny for their amazing support and hard work, Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and Zach Little for our fabulous music. Oh, you know what that sound means. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off and good night. <laughs>